Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on that last day. When the Father draws a person, it's evident. And many times in my life before surrendering to Jesus, I felt this nagging feeling that God was on my heels, but I ignored it until finally I couldn't anymore. I knew I needed him. And what's interesting about this verse is the word draw. The same word is used in James 2, 6, where it says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? So the word drag is the same word as draw. Now substitute that word in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me drags him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's kind of interesting what changing one letter can do to the perspective. So the cost of discipleship is everything. And when we become a true child of God, born from above, filled with the Holy Spirit, we have been purchased for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I think many new believers don't realize what they get themselves into when they come to Jesus. Jesus is not a thing or a fad that we do until it no longer suits us even though many treat him that way. On the contrary, we become slaves to a new master, and our will is not to do what we want to do, rather to do his will. And we see many examples of this in Scripture as well as in history, people going to their deaths for Jesus, honoring him to the point of being tortured to death. And we still see this happening today in many countries where it's a criminal offense to be a Christian. And those brothers and sisters all over the world who are brutalized suffer to the point of death simply for following him. Meanwhile, mainstream churches are filled with many who sit in church on Sunday, borderline comatose, and then rush out to go watch the game or something. The cost includes the game. So that shrinks down the professing church quite a bit. Why? Because it's hard, oppressive, fanatical? Or is it just because we're selfish and always looking out for number one? Maybe we don't want people to be mean to us. Maybe we're afraid. Whatever the reason so many professing Christians avoid surrendering their lives to Jesus, it should remind us who are serious about him that he said there's only going to be a few that find life. When you look at the professing church today, all those people who go to church, how many people have truly surrendered their lives to Jesus? How many people will just sit and pray with you if you ask? Hey, you want to pray, man? What? Yeah, I got some stuff going on. You want to pray? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, okay. How many people read their Bibles? How many people actually do things in the ministry? How many people serve? How many people love others? But what is missing in many churchgoers' lives is that ghastly thought of becoming a slave to Jesus. 
And realistically, if you are not a slave to Jesus, you're a slave to something else. That's why it's important to surrender everything to him so that nothing in our lives will enslave us again as we voluntarily become a slave to Jesus. That's what the word doulos is. It's a voluntary slave. I've had a lot of acquaintances in the church, having been serving in our church for so long, and I find myself trying to encourage believers to just simply step out and be a witness. And there are several brothers and sisters I know who are great witnesses. They're godly people. I thank God for them because they're an inspiration. But the majority, they seem to be hung up on this idea that surrendering all to Jesus and making him the master of my life is kind of weird. It's kind of fanatical. I don't really want to go that far. And what's the result? Continued slavery to fear, anger, lust, envy, jealousy, pride, money, etc., We're all like this, and the one way to be totally set free from our slavery to the flesh is to become a slave to Jesus. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, he gave the power to become the sons of God or daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8, 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, or again, daughters of God. This is how we overcome the power of our flesh, our slavery, by the power of God. So Jesus gives some interesting criteria for becoming his disciple in this passage. In verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and child and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that seems pretty morbid for Jesus. Does he really require me to hate my family? And one way to look at this comes in a definition in the Strong's Concordance where the word hate can also be to love less, which makes more sense. Jesus requires that we love him more than our family. But when we are looking at our own relationship with Jesus and experiencing his peace and love, then we look at all the drama in our lives created by our own stupidity, our own family, all that stuff. We should see that Jesus' love is perfect, whereas our family love is not. And once we, as the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, we realize there's no comparison to the love of God. And anything other than that beautiful love of God is totally lacking and insufficient. Therefore, I don't consider human love in the same ballpark as God's love because it's completely different. So the love of my family is totally insufficient compared to the love of God. And even though I love my family, I would not trade them for Jesus for anything. There's no comparison between human relationships and the relationship with God. So if it's a choice between Jesus and my family, I choose Jesus without hesitation. Not because I'm brainwashed, but because I've been spiritually washed and I know it. So that's my take on hating our families. If you're still hung up on the hating thing, remember what Jesus said about our enemies in Matthew 5:43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So even if we are required to hate our family in comparison to Jesus, we are here commanded to love and pray for our enemies, how much more our families. So while I think I have some understanding of Jesus' command in that verse, I know he isn't saying that I go and I burn down their houses. Rather, make the strongest relationship in my life with Jesus and keep it that way. That makes sense to me. And then Jesus says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So this goes back to being that slave of Jesus, a slave to his will, ready to do whatever he commands. In Romans 6, 22, it says, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. So we have become slaves to God, and that's how you get to eternal life. And summing it all up, Jesus says in verse 33, Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
Now, Jesus meets a rich young ruler in Mark 10, 17. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's key. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, not to me, give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, this is not required of everyone. And as a new believer, as I begin to read the scriptures, I saw this verse, and I'm like, oh man, does this mean I gotta go sell all my stuff and go broke? But in this story, Jesus loved the young man and saw what had enslaved him, money. This was his master. And in order to set the man free from slavery that he was in, the young man had to first understand his true bondage. And when he did, he went away sad because he had a lot of money. He wasn't willing to part with it. The point is that the man went away sad because he didn't get what he wanted. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he went away sad. He realized, I'm not willing to do what it takes to inherit eternal life. And what he needed to inherit eternal life was not what he must do. It's who he chooses to make his master, Jesus, just like us. And he could not be a disciple of Jesus if something else was enslaving him. It doesn't work that way. We must make Jesus our master and forsake everything that will compete with him if we want to be his disciple. And if we become a slave to Jesus, that's where true blessing can be found. Thank you.